Welcome to the Crown Council Mentor of the Month program. This is Steve Anderson. Success in any business and success in life requires discipline. Discipline to regularly follow the steps that have been proven to get results. Now, if you attended the Crown Council annual event in 2011, you remember Rory Vaden. And you've not forgotten his message to take the stairs, a metaphor for discipline in life. Rory Vaden is a published author, world-class speaker, and self-discipline strategist. Rory's insights on self-discipline have been shared on Oprah Radio in Business Week and have been featured multiple times in Success Magazine. Rory has degrees in business management leadership and also has an MBA. He's been invited to share his compelling Take the Stairs message on stages in Taiwan, China, Canada, and the UK and all over the United States. He's also the co-founder of the multi-million dollar international training company, Southwestern Consulting. Rory's focus on implementing discipline as a life and business strategy led him to start a rapidly growing social movement called Take the Stairs World Tour, which encourages people to be more self-disciplined. As a part of the movement, Rory is traveling the globe, taking the stairs to the top of the 10 tallest buildings in the world to raise money for charity. Rory is a member of the National Speakers Association, and out of 25,000 contestants, he became the Toastmasters World Champion of Public Speaking. We're delighted to welcome Rory back to the Crown Council stage, so to speak, as this month's Crown Council Mentor of the Month. Rory, welcome back. Hey, this is awesome. Thanks, Steve. It's uh, good to be back with everybody. We're excited to have you back, uh, really just a few months after you were with us at the annual event. You've had some exciting things that have happened since we were with you and looking forward to gaining some of your insights in a little different format today. So you, uh, as, as many may be aware, you have an opportunity to really travel the world. You work with all kinds of businesses uh, in, in all kinds of different industries. So maybe you could start with kind of a global perspective of what you think the biggest challenge facing business in general today is. What is that? Yeah, that's a great question because I think the biggest challenge that we see is um, one that people don't often think of as a challenge and they don't notice it, and that is procrastination. It doesn't matter what kind of company that we're working with, just as you said, we work with all different types of companies, that when you get down to the fundamental core challenge that most businesses have is doing the things they know they should be doing even when they don't feel like doing them. Um, it's hard for, for the business as a whole to, to, to make those tough decisions. It's hard for the individuals inside the company, hard for the leaders, hard for the frontline people. And so um, procrastination uh, is probably the most expensive invisible cost in business today. There was a survey that we looked at here recently that um, just looked at Angry Birds. Uh, there, do you, are you familiar with Angry Birds, Steve? I am not familiar with that. Tell me about it. <laughs> I, I've i not heard about it. I, I had just recently heard about it, but apparently it's this app on iPhones. It's a game called Angry Birds that is the most addictive thing in the world, uh, apparently, and uh, there was a, a, a survey firm, a research firm, that just figured out that it, it costs about $100 billion in lost productivity based on the number of hours people wow. are on it at work. Um, this is you know, nationwide of all the people using it, but um, there, was a, there was another kind of more direct survey of about 10,000 U.S. employees where they asked people, how many hours in a given work week do you spend on non income producing or job related activities and the average person self-admitted to wasting about two hours a day um, so you're talking about 10 hours a week so that's a fourth of the time and since the average employee in the US makes around forty thousand dollars that means that our procrastination costs our employers ten thousand three hundred and ninety six dollars per year per employee so it's a big cost and Nobody ever talks about it because it doesn't show up on the P&L and it doesn't show up on our checkbook register. And unfortunately, 
what we have seen also, you know, through our personal coaching is it's not just a huge cost in business, it's a huge cost in our lives as well. You know, it reminds me of a, a friend of mine that shared with me that he takes 12 weeks of vacation a year, which is <laughs> a lot by, by anybody's measurement. And then he said, he, he added to that, he said, now, most people take 12 weeks of vacation a year. He said, the only difference is that I take mine outside the office. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, That's so good. So, um, in fact, I, I, I'll just interject. You can use this one. Uh, all the Crown Council members are, are uh, familiar with my late business partner, Walter Haley. And Walter was filled with snappy sayings. And one of his favorite poems was about your topic here. And he would always quote this. And it, was, uh, it said, Procrastination is my greatest sin. It causes me great sorrow. I really must stop doing it by George. I'll start tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> so you can add that to your repertoire of procrastination. Good yeah. Fact. So uh, on, on the other side of that, Rory, then, based on your experience, what would you say uh, is the key to success? I, I really do believe, um, not based on some, you know, mythical or universal wisdom that somehow I've been endowed with, but based on, you know, studying so many different companies, so many different ultra performers, so many different industries, uh, you know, reading hundreds of books and, and spending, you know, thousands of hours studying this and, and going to just conferences after conference about the whole topic is I really do think that that the true path to success and what it takes can be boiled down to one simple word. And it's not what we want to hear, but it's what we need to hear. And it's not popular, but it, it is the truth, and the word is discipline. It's discipline because it doesn't matter what you're learning, what business you're in, uh, what you want for your life, how much money you're making, uh, you know, what sport you're involved in, getting to the next level in anything involves or it requires doing certain things that we don't want to do in order to get the lives that we do want to have. And so having the discipline to do those things that we know we need to, even when we don't want to or we don't feel like doing them, I think is is the, the pivotal characteristic in high-performing people. Now, what the Take the Stairs methodology is about and what the whole book is about is that self-discipline isn't as hard as we think it is when we think about it the right way. And as we have profiled, um, in the book we actually profiled eight what we call ultra performers. Uh, one of them is a gentleman uh, that has, is the only person in history to ever own six companies that were all listed on the New York Stock Exchange at the same time. Uh, one of them is the CEO of United Healthcare. There is the the number one Keller Williams real estate agent in the world out of 72,000 agents, uh, the number one Raymond James office in the world, and uh, all these different people. But what we've noticed in, in interviewing and following these people and working with them and, and seeing the, the behind the scenes of their life is that it's not that they enjoy discipline more or that they like it or that they have some weird masochistic sense of just wanting pain. It's that they think completely differently than everybody else. They process all of their choices through a different set of criteria um, through, um, you know, and we present these different frameworks to try to, art different frameworks to try to articulate the way that they make decisions that is different from everybody else because most of these high-performing people can't even explain why they do things the way they do it. They either uh, were born with it or were were raised that way or they learned it, but they're not exactly sure how to explain what it is that they do. And so the, the whole Take the Stairs methodology is about seven key insights, um, really seven misconceptions people have about self-discipline. Let's, uh, before you talk about them, because it sounds like you profiled some fascinating people, uh, I want to take a step back and talk about you for a minute, for the con just okay. context for those who may not have 
have heard you at the annual event, you started out as a door-to-door guy. I mean, you sold books door-to-door, which has got to be one of the most grueling uh, <laughs> things you could probably do for work, but but some of the best experience that I believe anybody could have for you know dealing with rejection, persistence, determination, teaches you a lot of great things. Share with us a little bit about your personal experience and how it led you to the study of, of self-discipline. Yeah, well... The, uh, it's funny you bring up the door-to-door experience. That was that was a huge part of the development, and uh, you're right. It was it was grueling. Uh, we we often say that being a door-to-door salesperson is something like being the human version of email spam. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> the thing. It's like the thing that nobody wants, and uh, but we all have got to deal with. And um, so, but actually, my journey to discipline started much younger than that. Those of you that were at Crown Council when when I got to meet everybody, um, I was raised by a single mom. She sold Mary Kay, so I grew up around all of these women who were ambitious and and motivated and you know achieving or working towards these huge goals in their lives. And um, that also means that I know more about makeup than I do about cars. It is true. <laughs> and um, when you see my pink pocket squares and things like that, you'll know where it came from. But um, my mother, when I was five years old, put me in martial arts, and I started studying Shaolin Kung Fu, and that was uh, one of the first places that I really started to develop discipline. It was one of the four key um, pillars of Shaolin, and then um, you know we we just we grew up in uh, we grew up in a, a trailer actually I did in a trailer park that's just outside of Boulder, Colorado, and. Uh, my mom used to always say, you know, you have to go to college, you have to, you're, you, you have to get a scholarship, and uh, because I'm not going to be able to pay it. But it was like it was always part of the plan. And then, uh, so I just started, you know, championing that for some reason through my whole young life, and then uh, started speaking about it when I was in high school, you know, about the power of discipline and making good choices. And then got hooked up with Southwestern and sold books door to door. Um, every day we would wake up at 6 a.m., take ice cold showers. We would knock on doors 14 hours a day, six days a week on straight commission, paying all of our own expenses. And, um, you know, it was, it was tough. I mean, and it's not something that most people want to do. It's, it's like, um, to put it in perspective, I, I sometimes joke that I would bug telemarketers when they were eating dinner. Um, <laughs> they, <laughs> so you'd be uh, knocking on their doors. Yeah, that's right. So, um, but the power of of what we learned there, and the person that I per, I I became in the pro, I love the person that I became in the process, and that in and of itself is one of the key insights I think for people to realize is that that the the, the freedom, the peace the money, the success, the recognition, the achievement, the self-satisfaction that we all want is on the other side of just a little short-term sacrifice. And uh, the gimmicks, the diet plans, the workout you know, contraptions, the money-making schemes, we give into those things uh, because they're sort of like this evil temptress that, that seem to give us what we want, um, but they don't actually. And so... Discipline became a part of my life, and then uh, after Southwestern, I left to become a professional speaker. I had been speaking quite a bit already and uh, joined an organization called Toastmasters. And are you probably familiar with Toastmasters, Steve? You've heard of oh, yeah, very familiar. In fact, it's, uh, Toastmasters is something we talk about a lot and encourage people to get involved with just because of the, the discipline and, and how it builds self-confidence. Yeah. It's an incredible organization, and so I joined Toastmasters, and my speaking mentor told me, he said, Rory, you need to go and speak a thousand times. If you're going to be, before you ever get paid to do this, you're going to have to speak a thousand times, and I took that quite literally, and so I joined several different clubs and heard about a contest called the World Championship of Public Speaking, and it was like, wow, world champion. I mean, that's pretty pretty big time and, and the youngest person to ever win was like 29 and so I just said well boy I'm, I'm this is what I'm going to do I'm, I'm going to win this and people said well it's a great goal to have but it, it's you know don't 
don't get your heart set on it. It's, it's way it's way out there, and you know maybe maybe someday you'll get to do it. And so I just um, I said, well, maybe that's true, but and I don't have you know I don't know what'll happen, but what I know I can do is I can go out and speak as much as possible, as fast as possible to get to get good. And so I spoke 304 times for free within 16 months. Wow. And uh, when I was 24, I became the youngest person in the world to um, ever win at the World Championship of Public Speaking. I actually came in second, so I placed second. Um, and people always ask, you know, what is that like? I mean, World Championship of Public Speaking and there's 25,000 people who enter the contest from 90 countries. We com- compete for over nine months. And so I tell them, you know, it's a lot like American Idol, except that nobody cares. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you that, go. <laughs> that's, the, that's the one key difference. But um, it was another example of, you know, self-discipline transforming my life personally. And um, it also launched, you know, my, my dream job and, and career of, of doing what I do now, which is basically full-time research, reading, writing, and research, trying to get inside the minds of the most successful people in the world, helping everybody else understand how it is that they think differently from the rest of us. Uh, I've heard you describe take the stairs, which I think is a great metaphor. I love your your, I think the most famous picture that you show that everybody talks about is the escalator that everyone takes up to 24-hour fitness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's our favorite one. But I've heard you describe Take the Stairs as a methodology that's also a paradox. Explain that. Yeah. Yeah, well, of course, you know, just to make a simple connection, you know, Take the Stairs is basically, you know, the metaphor, as you say, because we live in an escalator world. We live in a, a world that is in search of constant convenience, uh, a world that is consumed with, with better, faster, and easier. And, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with convenience, but what I noticed in my own life is that once we get, we, we, we get used to the convenience of having things easy, if we're not careful, we start to embrace this attitude or this mentality of entitlement that things shouldn't have to be so hard. And while there's nothing wrong with life's little conveniences, Entitlement is really a disgusting disease that destroys our ability to reach our dreams because it handicaps us with the exact wrong thinking about what it takes to be successful. And that's where the paradox comes into play. Um, This is one of the the seven core strategies um, in in the Take the Stairs book or in the methodology. It's called the pain paradox uh, or the paradox principle of sacrifice. And it simply states that the short-term easy leads to the long-term difficult, while the short-term difficult leads to the long-term easy. And there is, uh, if you use the example, let's just say, of personal finances, we can go down to the mall and take out our credit cards and buy whatever we feel like having and uh, charge up the cards and live like rock stars and get everything we've ever wanted and that yet in the long term, those the feelings of fulfillment that come from that fade pretty quickly, and they're they're pretty empty. And what we're left with is this this life of, of debt and being trapped by the choices that we've made, you know, in a previous moment. And yet we're trapped for years and years and years to pay off for that. And by trying to own things that we thought would make us feel good, we actually end up leasing our life uh, to a life of debt. And uh, you can use that example with uh, any sort of substance, whether it's, it's uh, you know, any in, any type of indulgence, whether it's, whether it's, it's drug or s- drugs or sexual temptation or alcohol or um, a- anything else that's sort of addictive in nature. It's, we give in to the short-term impulse, and yet it, it handicaps us with this long-term negative consequence that we have to deal with. Even food is that way. Meanwhile, you know, the few ultra-performers in the world um, who want the same things we do, they want, uh, you know, it's like we all want freedom. We want peace. <laughs> peace, I think, is the thing. Everybody's right now, it's like we just want peace. Um, and they want those same things, but somehow they realize that 
the most guaranteed path and the shortest path and the fastest path to those is taking the stairs. It's it's doing the things that we don't feel like doing, and that is that's the great paradox. It's, it's this great paradox that what we thought was easy, what felt easy, what seemed like easy, created extraordinary difficult circumstances in our lives. And what seems so hard, what seems so painful, what seemed like such a sacrifice creates this wonderful life of freedom and peace and security and uh, you know rich relationships. And it's just a great paradox that nobody really talks about and few people have articulated and only few people understand it consciously. And so that's that's a big part of what we're doing with the movement is just helping people realize what the truth is. You know, I think one of the things that, that a lot don't realize about that whole entitlement thing, you think about entitlement and people think of, well, you know, it's the young kids who think they're entitled to stuff or it's people on welfare or whatever, and entitlement creeps in to just about everybody's life if you're not careful, including, you know, one of the things we talk about is uh, somebody who's been on the team for you know, several years, and pretty yep. soon, if they're not careful, they think they're entitled to their job. Or yep. the dentist who's been in practice for 20 years and feels like he or she's entitled to make a certain amount of money and, and because they've, quote-unquote, paid their dues. And mm-hmm. uh, the the entitlement thing is uh, it can creep into just about any, anybody's mentality. And one of the ways that you talk about that that it can creep in is what you call creative avoidance. Uh-huh. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yeah, well, creative avoidance is a self-diagnosis. It's <laughs> what it is because you know the the real problem here. You know, if you if, if you summed up the problem in a word, it's procrastination. Right. It's it's, put, it's putting off the things we know we should be doing. Uh, putting off the things that are difficult, putting off, you know, avoiding inevitable challenges in our our life. It's, you know, our doctor telling us we need to change our diet or we need to start being healthier or it's in our relationships realizing that there's some difficult conversations that need to be had and some, some sacrifices we need to make in order to make our relationship better. And we just, we procrastinate on them. And um, problems that are procrastinated on are only amplified. They get worse and worse and worse. And yet, most—not most people, I guess—but there's a, there's a lot of a lot of people who um, would say, you know, people that are ambitious and, and and are hardworking and are successful and you know aren't just lazy um, that think, well, boy, you know, I don't really struggle with procrastination. It's not like I'm just I don't just ignore things. I don't just not do anything. It's not like I don't show up for work or it's not that I don't, you know, work my hours and stuff. And that's because we associate procrastination with what I call the classic procrastination definition, which is consciously delaying what we know we should be doing. And um, some people do. And, and, and it all, you know, in different areas of our life, we all struggle with classic procrastination. I know I should be paying the bills and I'm just going, nah, I don't feel like it. I'm not going to do it today. But there's a much more dangerous form of procrastination, a much more costly form of procrastination that I noticed again in myself here, and it is unconscious. It's unconsciously delaying on things we know we should be doing because um, we we give in to menial work or trivial work, and we, we gravitate towards the things that are easier rather than the things that need to be done. So it looks like we're working. It looks like, I mean, we can be even working long hours. We can be even be moving really fast during the day. But when we look back on what we accomplished in that day, if we're honest with ourselves, a huge part of our day was spent um, on just busy, just being busy. Activity and versus accomplishment. Exactly. Exactly. And there is creative avoidance is, you know, for an in, in, a sophisticated person, an intelligent person, I had to come up with a new term uh, so that I couldn't just be one of those procrastinators. Uh, but it also captures sort of the essence of what's happening is that it's unconscious. And it's, in, it's, it's amazing how in the absence of accountability, 
and a clearly defined plan for discipline, we become strangely loyal to performing these daily acts of trivia. Um, mm. dist- distraction starts to take over our life, and we, we become victims of whatever is latest and loudest, and we are constantly um, just giving in to whatever is right in front of us rather than what needs to be done. And, you know, distraction is a dangerously deceptive saboteur of our goals. It really is. So I think you, you obviously are are a proponent of the fact that self-discipline is can be learned. There are obviously mm-hmm. some that that may tend toward it more naturally than others, but it is a learned skill. Is that correct? Yeah, and um, it is definitely learned. And if, I don't know if skill is the right word. I get asked this question a lot, and I'm still struggling to 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 work through this, if it's a skill or not, because what discipline really is, is it is it is a way of thinking. It is a difference in how we process our choices. When when people look at the stairs and the escalator, it's what happens in their mind and the, the different set of criteria that enter into their evaluation process is what's, what's key. So it's not necessarily that it's like a, some physical skill or a talent or anything like that. It is a way of thinking. It, it, it really is a paradigm, I guess, to use sort of the, the cliche term. Um, it, it's a way of, of processing, processing choices. But it can definitely be learned. And I w- it, there's no doubt that some people have a higher predisposition uh, to be born with self-discipline. I mean, um, you know, when you think of somebody who's 11 years old and they're in the Olympics or whatever, it's, it's like they've, they, they must have learned it at a very young age or had a high predisposition for it. But most cases, in, in, in most successful people, they have had to learn it. And the way that they learned it, ironically, and again, paradoxically, is through pain. Most, the most successful people in the world, almost all of these people that we profile for this book, have gone through some incredible tragedy, some strenuous, you know, period in their life, some some overwhelming struggle or some some battle, sometimes life-threatening battles, to where their back was up, up against the wall so much that they had no choice but to learn how to be disciplined. Um, you know, one of my one of my pals is Dave Ramsey, and uh, I I, just, I love Dave Ramsey. I just I'm a, a huge fan of his. Um, you know, above everything, and, and you know, Dave went bankrupt, and now he is the world's leading authority on getting out of, of personal debt and personal finance. And it's it's like it's because he was undisciplined with his money, and he went bankrupt, and that's how he learned how to do what he does. Mm-hmm. So part of discipline, a big part of it, I think you'd agree, is keeping commitments. Mm-hmm. So what separates those who keep their commitments from those who don't? Yeah, that, this this topic, Steve, is a, a sensitive one because commitment really strikes at the core of many of our lives, um, specifically with our relationships. And, you know, the, one of the other key uh, strategies or principles of the Take the Stairs methodology is called the buy-in principle of commitment. And it, it's real simple, and it'll make sense when you hear it. Um, you probably kind of noticed it but never thought about it, and, and here it is. The more we have invested into something, the less likely we are to let it fail. Say that the again. Have, the more we have invested into something, the less likely we are to let it fail. That's why it's so hard to walk away from relationships because we have so much, so much love and so much time and so much energy invested in this person. That's why it's it's hard for uh, you know somebody to retire. I mean, just you know, a, a, a dentist who has poured their whole life into starting this office. It's not just about when can they financially retire. It's they're letting go of something that they poured their whole life in. It's so much of their identity is wrapped up in. Um, you know, we see we see like privately held businesses, family-owned businesses, where it's really hard for the grandfather who started the business to, to turn turn over control. Um, and, uh, you know, and of course, we've, divorce is a huge thing 
that people are struggling with. And, um, but the way of the escalator world, which just breaks my heart, um, the way of the world tells us, and this is, I mean, it's, it's literally on the cover of magazines, is that, you know, when things get tough, people take breaks. They split up, they, they, they go apart, they, they back off. When, when things get tough economically, we slow down our investment into our people. We slow down our investment in, into marketing. We, everything is, if we take this right out the storm approach and not realizing that one of the very core things that leverages us to take action is to increase our, our buy-in, to increase our commitment, to spend more time. I mean, when things get tough, that's not the time to take a break. That's not the time to slow down. That is the time to spend more time, more energy, more love, and very often more money into making this thing work, whatever the thing is. And it's just an unfortunate truth that has become very prevalent in society that we back up, we take breaks, and then, you know, things fizzle out and, and we, we, write it off, we write it off as, oh, it wasn't meant to be. But, you know, the, the truth is, is not necessarily that it wasn't meant to be. The truth was that we let our, we rationalized ourselves out of commitments that we made to one another and and to ourselves. What uh, what is the perpetual enemy to taking action? You talk a lot about this. Share share your thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, so, so so now you know we're talking about having this mentality and this mindset, and uh, you know what do we do with this? You know everything that we sort of talked about on on this call and. Um, you know, the, the 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 key challenge is to you know listen to this and then to change something in your life. To, and I'm not going to tell anybody what it is. I, that's not my right to tell anybody. Um, and but deep inside, all of us know there's something in our life that we have known for a while that we needed to change or that we needed to do or we needed to engage with. Uh, or something that maybe we need to let go, and, and it's like we we all know what know what those things are, and we have to take action on them. Uh, it might be opening a new office, it might be you know starting um, some new program, it might be you know doing something differently in our relationships, in our personal finances, in uh, our, our eating, or working out, or whatever. Uh, and yet, the, immediately the moment that you're done listening to this all of us will be faced with uh, the law of diminishing intent. And this is that enemy, this perpetual enemy. Um, and it's real simple. Our intention to complete an activity is highest the moment we create that intention. And then naturally over time, that intention starts to diminish or it starts to fade. And so all of us have these, these moments in our lives where we become inspired. And there's this, there's, there are truly these moments where we, we feel a calling and we feel these creative energies come alive inside of us to take action, to do something. It's like a moment of belief that I could actually change something um, from the way that it is. And yet, when we don't take immediate action, the likelihood of us engaging, it goes down with, with every, every passing second. And that is the law of diminishing intent. And so the strategy for everybody... Um, it's, it's sort of two parts. The first part is understanding why we don't take action. Um, and the number one reason why we don't take action is because of um, we're waiting for the perfect time, the perfect set of circumstances, the perfect amount of money, the perfect amount of knowledge. We're waiting for that because we, we fear messing up. We fear screwing it up. And the way that these ultra performers think that's totally different is they let go of that perfection. They realize and embrace the fact that success is messy, that you, it pieces itself together along the way, that you never have a plan that is perfect, that is executed nicely, but that you start with some rough thing and it, it comes together along the way. And so the way that we leverage ourselves to action is that we have to demand progress. We have to ruthlessly and relentlessly demand from ourselves that we make progress and at the same time completely release ourselves from the demand 
for perfection. Psychologists say the number one cause of all procrastination is actually self-criticism. Really? Uh, one of your core strategies in the take the mind, take the stairs mindset is faith and perspective. Tell us yeah. how that uh, applies to success. Yeah, I think people are always surprised by that one, Steve. And, and I think you mentioned something about being surprised that that was in there. Exactly. And yeah, well, it, it, this one is key, and. Uh, of all the other strategies in the book, the other six are real proactive. They're like, these are things that we do, things that are related to making progress. The reason why faith is in there, well, I mean, the reason it's in there is because that's what we have seen uniformly is actually the truth in these really successful people. But this one is, is more responsive or reactive because faith has everything to do with how we manage tragedy how we manage setbacks. And in our pursuit to be disciplined, in our pursuit to be ambitious, um, in, in, our, in, in pursuing these great plans we have for our life, inevitably we're, things are not going to work out the way that we want. And how we deal with those failures becomes critical in whether or not we keep going. And so the attitude that we process failure is as important as the attitude that we process our choices with. And so what the, the perspective principle of faith says is that um, our ability to have peace is directly proportionate to the term of our perspective. Our ability to have peace is directly proportionate to the term of our perspective. Um, frustration really can only occur when we have a limited perspective, which is here and now. You know, whatever our challenge is, whether it's a flat tire or it's a, you know, it's some losing a customer or some, you know, any other challenge we're dealing with, a challenge in response or in in relation to today is a big problem. But a challenge in relation to the whole timeline of our, you know, 80 or 100 year life is a small problem. And a challenge in a challenge we're experiencing today in relation to eternity is no problem. I mean, what what horrible thing could happen to us today that would really, you know, affect, you know, the, the history of the world? Um, and yet we sometimes treat it like it does, and it's natural. Well, these people, these successful people, have a faith, and, and, a, and as a result, a resulting peace that comes from faith that enables them to process tragedy and manage failures and setbacks um, really in a really healthy way that enables them to re-engage in something new. Um, and and it sort of it works like this. So if I have that sort of perspective, I have a broader perspective, then I get a huge payoff because, um, you know, less the ability to see the entire future we aren't entitled to evaluate why things happen to us today. And many of us, even we can look back on our lives and look at times where we said, boy, it really was painful when that project failed, or it was really painful when that relationship didn't work out. And now looking back, we can say, oh, boy, that was for the better. Thank goodness that happened. Or that really shaped the person that I am today. And so, less the ability to see the entire future, we are entitled to evaluate why things happen today. And so that gives us a sense of peace that enables us to take more forceful action. Um, and by taking that forceful action, if something doesn't work out, we know that it, it, it was meant to be that way. So, um, you know... A lot of times things don't work out and people say it wasn't meant to be, but they don't know if it's because it wasn't meant to be, if it wasn't part of this greater plan that we're all living in, or they don't know, or it was because they didn't put in the work that it took to uh, make it. But somebody who has that perspective will do everything in their power, everything they can, they do their best, and then they know if things didn't work out, it must be for some greater glory. I mean, and, and faith is a 
is a conscious choice to choose that what is happening now is for a greater glory later on. Good, good concept. Peace is uh, directly proportionate to the length of our perspective. Good, good mm-hmm. thought. Yeah. All right, everybody knows about your Take the Stairs tour. You introduced that to us earlier this year. You're climbing the 10 tallest buildings, but there's another aspect of this uh, that has to do with the release of your new book. So tell us about that. Yeah, well, I'm so excited about this, Steve. And uh, Steve hasn't let everybody in on the secret, but uh, he and Greg and I and Mary and some of us behind the scenes have been... uh, brainstorming a way to impact the world, and uh, the book comes out February 7th, and our goal is to hit the New York Times bestseller list. We have to pre-sell something like 11,000 copies to do that. We've sold about 7,500 so far, so we're we're getting close, and we're still got our fingers crossed, but we're working it, um, but the New York Times should come out, you know, the following week. And then what we're going to do is hopefully leverage off of that buzz, and we're, we're doing a take-the-stairs tour across the United States. And I'm going to be buying a bus, a tour bus, and going around to 15 or 20 cities between February 20th and March 20th. And we're going to teach, and we're going to uh, teach the take-the-stairs, all seven strategies in live events, and I'm going to do them for free. Um, and so the reason we're doing this is because we want to get the message out to the world. We think the message, the world needs self-discipline, and um, particularly we want to raise a bunch of money for youth character education programs, and uh, that is really where Crown Council uh, can come in and can help us. We're hoping that we can partner with uh, dentists in each of these 20 cities that we're going to that they can do two things. They only have to do two things. It doesn't cost us any money. It doesn't cost them any money. They just have to help us get a venue that will hold maybe, you know, a few hundred or maybe 500, 1,000 people, you know, something like that in a city, and then they have to help us spread the word. Um, I will be there live teaching the event, totally free to come, except we'll have a suggested donation probably of like $10. And so people that will come will, um, you know, put put – put money, make a donation, and then what we're going to do is collect all of that money and with, uh, in partnering with Crown Council Smiles for Life and that local dentist, uh, on behalf of that local dentist, we're going to take that money, turn around, and give it to that school district in that community for those kids. And so the people in the audience will be raising money for their own kids um, for their character education programs because every time... Every time I turn on the news, Steve, it's like it's just more teachers getting cut, more programs getting cut, budget cuts, this. We're, we're losing leadership programs. We're losing after-school programs, extracurricular stuff. And those are the only places that we really learn uh, the kind of that, – that kids really learn the character they need to succeed in life. And so I just woke up one day and just got pissed off, to be honest, um, that nobody is doing anything. We're just we're just cutting money and complaining about it. And so I said, well, if I'm going to be out there, let's do these events for free. Let's pack it out. And, um, you know, and, and then you and I talked, and we're just excited. It can be a, be a big win for everybody. Um, it'll help us get the word out about our book, of course. Uh, we'll reach a lot of uh, young people and, you know, people, uh, parents. We want parents and their kids to come together. Uh, from the business community, from the educational community, from the you know nonprofit community, and uh, so they'll the kids will learn something important. We'll raise some money for the schools, and then you know the dentist is going to get to have their face over the event. They they're going to be the ones um, promoting it and introducing me, and hopefully they'll get some new clients out of it, and they'll get to to, to give money to their local school district that they live and deal with, you know the patients that they're treat that you are treating every day in your office. So this is a great community involvement uh, marketing, cause-related marketing idea. And, uh, you know, thanks to Mary Gray, uh, Jeff Gray's wife, who kind of helped birth this with you. I think it's a fantastic idea. 
And so anybody who wants to get involved in this in their community with this recording is going to come a list of dates and locations, as well as uh, there might be some other places outside of that you might be willing to come on a time-available basis. The cool thing about this, Rory, is this coincides with the kickoff of the 2012 Smiles for Life campaign. So it's uh, the timing is good, and uh, for for those who choose to get involved, it's a great community marketing idea. So thanks for the idea and for your willingness to do it. We think it'll be a really an, an exciting concept, and and it'll make a big difference in the communities where you go. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for the opportunity. You've, uh, to you've talked about your goal of uh, getting New York Times bestseller list, so. How can people pre-order your book? Yeah, uh, well, that's simple enough. There's a, a website, takethestairsbook.com. That's where they, they can go, and um, they can pre-order, pre-order the book there. Um, and uh, what we'll do is we will set up a special landing page for Crown Council members only. Um, and so let me give them, a, I'll give you all a specific address, and we're going to include some uh, some bonuses for anybody who does order the book. They go to takethestairsbook.com forward slash crown council. Um, and so if you go to that page, uh, the way that it's going to work is we're going to give you a, uh, if you do buy the book, the book's $25 on pre-sale. Uh, for every copy that you buy, we are going to give you a MP3 of the Take the Stairs uh, speech so that you can listen to it and pass it around the office or give it to your kid. Uh, we'll give you six online videos of uh, the different principles uh, that I'm teaching live, so you'll have those videos for your reference. We will also email you a, um, a mini book of quotes, 64 quotes from the actual book. It's a little quote book. And then, of course, we will send the real book, the real hardcover Take the Stairs book, right to your house on February 7th when it comes out. So you'll get like a whole bunch of bonuses, $100 or something worth of bonuses, and then we'll mail the book right to your, your house the moment it comes out. Fantastic. So one of the most popular concepts that you shared at the annual event earlier this year is your rent axiom. And maybe to wrap up today, you could uh, refresh everyone's memory. And for those who haven't heard your rent axiom, it is a—it really is one to live by. Yeah, it's—it's—it always cracks me up, Steve, because at the end of every call or interview or speech or whatever, people come up to me and they say, "You know, Rory, you're right. I know there's been some changes I need to make in my life, and 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 I want to start doing them. So let's say I take on your take the stairs mindset." Their almost immediate ensuing question is always, so if I start if I start making sacrifice, I start paying the price, I start being more disciplined, I start taking the stairs, how long do I have to do that for? Uh <laughs> 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 and it's classic and and again, you know, I I'm not interested in making people happy as much as I'm interested in sharing with them truth. And the truth is that we never get to stop being disciplined. Uh, now, that doesn't mean life is going to be one great big giant trip to the gym or that we're only going to eat foliage for every meal because discipline is a perpetually self-correcting system that says when we're not working hard enough, it kicks us in the pants and says, hey, we need to pick it up a notch. And when we're working too hard, it says, hey, you need to focus on some of this other stuff. And um, But the reason that we never get to stop being disciplined is because of something that I call the rent axiom. And the rent axiom simply says, success is never owned. Success is only rented. And the rent is due every day. Success in anything is never owned. It is rented through a series of choices that we continually make each and every single day. And when we make those choices, we get the... Um, we get the opportunity to continue having that success. And you can take out the word success in the rent axiom and put in anything you want. You know, financial security is never owned. It's rented and the rent is due every day. Being in great physical health is never owned. It's rented and the rent is due every day. A happy marriage is never owned. It's rented and the rent is due every day. And the 
making that choice each and every day is what becomes important. And even though this strikes us as bad news, I think sometimes, Steve, we go, oh, gosh, you know, i got to do this forever. I mean, oh, that's, you know, what kind of fun is that? That doesn't sound easy. That doesn't sound rewarding. That's a... And actually, inside of this principle is the ultimate payoff of all of self-discipline. And that is when we let go of the diet mentality, when we let go of the 30-day no, you know, no money down and the two years same as cash, and we let go of all of that pop culture media marketing, that escalator world, and we embrace this truth that success is never owned, it's rented, and the rent is due every day, something magical happens, and that is that our appetites begin to change. Our appetites change so much because just like our appetite for food can change, so can your appetite for discipline. And the, the great empowering truth is that when we take on this mentality, the things that were, that were once a, a sacrifice for us to do, later on we will crave. And the, the things that were once indulgences for our life, later on won't even be temptations. Our appetite will have changed, our, our decision-making process will have changed, and we will truly have become a, a take-the-stairs person. Rory, thanks for being our Crown Council Mentor of the Month mentor. Again, it's great to be with you again, and we're very excited to be working with you on your take-the-stairs tour in uh, various communities around the country that uh, will make a big difference. And and raise some money for Smiles for Life and for kids and communities around the country. And uh, looking forward to seeing the new book coming soon at uh, takethestairsbook.com, correct? Yeah, forward slash Crown Council. There you go, forward slash. So takethestairsbook.com forward slash Crown Council. And uh, we're going to run up the numbers for you to get on the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah, well, that would be awesome. And it's a... it's a privilege to be associated with you all, and hopefully we I'm looking forward to partnering together to change in at least a few lives. Thanks so much for being with us today, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the stairs. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.